Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this podcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 20 years' experience in finding financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every single week on Friday afternoons, and uh, you can also uh, see our show. You can stream it off of moneymd.net. Yeah, go to the website. On the right-hand corner, there is a link. Uh, it takes you outside the Money, D, Money MD website, but it goes to um, a, another location that you can get all the podcasts. We have them categorized. Very easy to listen. A lot of people go out there and just download them, Steve, and I think they, uh, I don't know, maybe they're exercising whether they're listening to the Money Doctors or sitting on the beach or I don't know. Anywhere you want. Yeah, you know, make, you it's easy. Playing golf on yeah. Saturday afternoon. I probably not listening to Pike. I mean, well, you know, you're right. Probably usually music's <laughs> what the guys do there. But iTunes, you can pick us up on iTunes as well. Um, but do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lineup for today. Um, as usual, you know, we're going to talk about. Uh, well, first, what did you go ahead with got, the first one? Got a little pension issue. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, surprise, surprise. State, the state of South Carolina, and they're not alone in this, Steve, but um, there are some major pension issues. If you if you have a pension or know someone that has a pension, um, they haven't made any changes to it yet, but they need to in order to make this thing whole. But we're going to dive into uh, what the issues are and what some of the solutions are as well. Yeah, pensions have been a big problem out there. Lots of states are having those issues. But we're also going to talk about the five biggest budgeting mistakes. Um, and these are huge, and we see these a lot, John, don't mm-hmm. we? And we're sitting down with folks, um, but there's five of them here that are that are pretty common that people don't really recognize. So you'll want to pay attention to these. These are really good. Um, but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, Steve, the, uh, you know, it's interesting times we're in right now. The uh, interest rates are very, very low, and, and there is a, actually a very large risk in bonds. And if you have long-term bonds, um, there's you know, significant risk. And so the way you calculate the risk is you look at the duration. And so the duration now of a 30-year bond uh, is about 22 years, and so what that means is, is a 1% increase in the current yield of the long bond will reduce the value of the bond by 22%. Wow. It's a big number, so That's you want to make sure, job. you know, we do have people come in that, that still have long-term bonds, and uh, they've done well, you know, in the last couple of years because the interest rates yep. have decreased, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to flip on them very quickly as interest rates rise. They're, they have a lot of risk in that. Yeah, and the Fed's already said, you know, they're they're planning to start raising interest rates here at some point um, in the near future. So certainly you need to look at your bond portfolio or the bonds in your portfolio and make sure you're not taking too much risk. Mm-hmm. Look at that duration number. That's the amount you could lose if the dur- if the interest rates go up by 1%. Yeah. So that's, that's a, a great, great rule of thumb, great uh, fact of the week. 
Okay, and that leads up to our first topic here, though, and that is the state's pension problem. This is South Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. They got some pension woes. Yes, it does. And this is an, uh, an, a guest columnist uh, recently uh, represented Bill Taylor. He represents the South Carolina House District 86, which comprises um, you know a lot of Aiken County. So he's a good guy. Been around a long time, and uh, pretty interesting topic here. The the South Carolina State Employee Pension system is in trouble and that could cost the people that are currently in that system uh, as well as you and I I mean as taxpayers as well and so we can't allow bad practices to drag down the pension system with uh, taxpayers eventually being asked to bail out the shortfall I mean that's what it boils down to is uh, you know they're going to have to go and and, uh, figure out a way to raise the shortfall in the future taxpayers always get get on the hook for that eventually eventually they'll still pay the pension that's right that's right the South Carolina retirement system Investment uh, Commission. Um, it's R SIC, R S I C. It's kind of funny. Yeah, that is R-SIC. kind of uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of a Freudian. Yes, that's right. Um, but they basically say the performance is failing. It's resulting in costly outcomes. I mean, this group is charged with managing the retirement investments of the public employees at the state and the local level. And recently, a report by the Legislative Audit Council calls the retirement system significantly underfunded and that it is underreported, really, the risk. It's probably more, more underfunded than what they're, what they're telling us. And, you know, this, this RSIC also pays hundreds of millions of dollars annually in management fees. That's contributing to the underperformance, and we're going to get into some of those details. But there's a big issue here, Steve, with the pension plan. Yeah, and I think part of the underperformance has to do with the market. Interest rates have been so low Mm -hmm. for so long that it's very difficult for a pension plan to produce the kind of numbers, the kind of returns that they used to have. Because, you know, most pension plans have probably at least 50% of their assets in fixed income and in bonds and those sorts of things, and interest rates are just rock bottom, yeah, they have almost been zero for a long time now, and it's just killing them. Yeah, they're saying here there are there are sick, as you say it, you are sick maybe, <laughs> um, has overpromised and underperformed, and in doing so, they've created this unfunded liability, and that's the difference between what the amount of money the state will need to uphold its contracts with retired people and the revenue that the state's pension fund is generating to cover those future costs. So legislatures, um, they have to make sure uh, that you, the taxpayers, do not pay more than that you have to to shore up these bad decisions um, that have been made in the poor performance on the part of the investment uh, commission mm-hmm. who makes those decisions. But uh, I think part of it's just the market, and they base these promises on high interest rates back from 20 and 30 years ago, and yeah. that's just not the reality anymore. Yeah, that's right. There is some good news for the South Carolina retirement system, according to Mr. Taylor. Um, you know, Based on the reforms the General Assembly instituted in 2012, both the government and public employees are currently contributing enough to rectify the funding de- uh, deficiency over the course of the next 30 years. I mean, it's a long time frame. Yes, it is. Um, and they, you know, in order to do that, though, the fund has to achieve seven and a half percent returns, and that's one of the issues. So I'm surprised they haven't that that high. Exactly. I mean, yeah. they haven't seen that uh, recently. It's a, it's a big so. number. They probably set that 20, 30 years ago when interest rates were six or seven percent. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I'm not sure that's necessarily good news. There, it concerns me a little bit. Um, you know, there, there are several issues, though, that counter that good news. First, the fund has, for the last several years, failed to meet its benchmark for returns, and that underperformance amounts to over $7 billion over the last decade. That's a huge number. 
Yes, seven it is. billion dollars underfunded. And the second one, the current plan to service the fund's debt is akin to making the minimum payment on a credit card for thirty years. So that's another issue. And, uh, and the final final one here is that the uh, management fees, Steve, they've skyrocketed from twenty three million in two thousand four to a peak of four hundred and sixty eight million in the twenty thirteen to twenty fourteen year that's a two thousand percent increase i i don't understand that unless the that pension no fund sense. has grown by that amount but i can't believe the pension fund has gone up 20 fold I, I don't think it has and that's that's an amazing that's that's a piece of the puzzle that's a big problem that is a problem yeah no doubt yeah a few states though have successfully reformed their pension systems um and we have to learn from those decisions to help south carolina chart a course forward is what they're saying here i mean these states have made hard choices to tighten their belts, to reform their systems before their debt became an, an onerous burden on taxpayers. And so, you know, South Carolina's got to make those same hard decisions, yeah. I think, what they're getting at here. I agree. And, and some of those decisions, Steve, include adopting a defined contribution plan. It's kind of like a 401k. Uh, it's universal in the private sector. I mean, private companies many, many years ago saw the the insolvency uh, brought on by the defined benefit plan, a.k.a. the pension plan. It's very expensive, very expensive benefit. And he goes on to say, you know, we can and we should follow those states by pursuing these common sense policies to reform the pension fund before it's too late. So they're basically saying they're going to do away with the pension Maybe they would freeze it and offer some type of 401k instead. Well, they probably should, particularly for younger people. I mean, think about it. I mean, every company around here, every major corporation has done that for new hires. They don't offer a pension yeah, anymore. That's right. They just offer, you know, a higher higher level match in the 401k plan. And, you know, the, the pensions are frozen for anybody. Usually it's over 50 mm-hmm. when they make that change. So that's what the, what the state needs to do. Yeah, that's right. And one of the one of the core issues here, Steve, is the the unfunded liability amount is at least twenty billion dollars. You know, and that depends on who's calculating it. It may be as much as forty billion dollars. That's a wow. huge, huge number. And the seven and a half percent returns that that they have tasked the pension fund managers produce to produce uh, yearly, you know, it's partially funding. Uh, are fueling this unfunded liability. So he thinks the uh, legislative benchmark is unrealistic and needs to be adjusted, and it absolutely does. No Scary doubt. things is, is if you adjust it downward, that that unfunded amount is going to skyrocket. Exactly, because it's based on that number all the way out yeah. for the next 30 years. That's right. So you knock it down 1%, and I imagine that unfunded liability part might double. <laughs> you know, it's going to be huge. So, yeah, for the last 10 years, the rate of return has averaged only 5. 5.06%. Um, so they have to adjust their expectations and their calculations to match their real-world experience. And the poor returns is a recipe for disaster, they point out here. Fortunately, House Speaker Jay Lucas and <clears throat> Senate President Hugh Leatherman have formed a special legislative committee to develop a pension reform plan and everything you know has to be on the table you know hybrid benefit and contribution plans colas the state and employee payroll contributions the sound liability payoff schedule to name a few so there's a lot of things they need to consider Mm -hmm. you know to fix this problem but one of them certainly is to 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 probably freeze the whole stinking plan. Yeah, yeah. To, for new hires, I think you're right. And some of the colas, that's a big, big deal as well. So, oh, definitely. You know, this is certainly a complex issue. It's going to require tough decisions. Um, you know, it's going to impact people in the system. I mean, is what it boils down to. 
um, you know, with all you know difficult decisions, you know, legislators they have to have the political courage to solve this, you know, the ills today. Otherwise, it's gonna it could implode. I mean, it could go belly up. I don't think it will, but um, you know, I, I like. I'm glad he's brought this. Um, you know, kind of highlighted it. It was this was in the Aiken Standard, and I've seen study after study. And you know, the, South Carolina is not the only place no, that has this issue. I mean, this states and the federal state. government <clears throat> they need to they, you know they need to address this, and and so nationwide it needs to be addressed. Now, like you said, the federal government same way is a huge unfunded liability, and you just we just. We don't live in a day where they can have defined benefit plans like this. I believe it's just not economically feasible. Yep. Um, it's just too much money. I mean, you know, I mean, thankfully for folks that are out there retired that, that have a pension, a great pension, you know, be thankful for it. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of money to support that pension. Um, but it's just not something your kids are going to have. Yeah, so that's right. you really got to educate your kids. And, you know, the future generation, they got to plan and prepare themselves. And mm-hmm. they're going to have to save at least twice as much as as maybe, you know, our parents saved in in, in, in today's dollars. Yeah, that's right. So it's going to be a big number. So they got to be realistic about what they're going to get mm-hmm. out of pension funds. These 50%, 60% of their salary and the pension yeah. that state employees enjoy today. It's going away. I mean, we see it. I it's mean. going away for future retirees, mm-hmm. not the current folks no, out there. No, no, they no, might no. start trimming your COLA. You yeah. may not get that cost of living. Most pe- private pension funds don't get any cost right. of living increase. That's right. So the fact that the states get that is pretty remarkable. It's a bonus, yeah, no doubt. But that may go away, and that I think that's probably fair game on the table. But they're not going to take away their pension. No, you know, I don't, I don't so. think so. Anyway, all right, great topic. Um, that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question is, um, should I use a financial advisor to help my situation uh, short of time and don't enjoy it anymore? So, you know, Steve, working with, you know, financial advisors, obviously it's a very personal decision. Uh, for a lot of people out there, it does make sense. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the time or desire to handle their family's finances. As you get closer to retirement, the, um, you know, the risks get bigger. So uh, a lot of people do engage us and other folks in the industry to kind of help them maneuver the waters, um, you know, and make make wise decisions. That's kind of what our our you know our our mantra is on this show is is making sure that we make wise decisions with um with with our clients' money and help them in that process. But it is a personal decision. It is, it is, and of course it's you know self serving <laughs> for us to say that you should work with an advisor. Of course, <laughs> we're advisors. But having said that, you know, I mean. The older you get, the more you have – the stakes are a lot higher. Mm-hmm. The more money you have, it's your life savings. And those last 10 years before you retire are very, very important that you get a good, solid you know, market rate of return at your risk level. So you, you got – and you got to make sure you make smart decisions with your pensions and with, with everything. Social you Security. Know, and Social Security and yep. all the things in between, life insurance and everything. So – you know, if there's ever a time to work with a, a planner and an advisor, it's certainly <clears throat> those last 10 years coming into it. But even earlier, mm-hmm. you know, if it's not Can't your benefit. forte and you don't want to spend the time and effort, you know, I mean, it's very, very complicated. It's only gotten com- more complicated. The yes. 20 years I've been in this business, it has not gotten easier. Yeah, it's gotten right. more complicated. Yeah. So despite all the technology and new tools, it makes it more complicated mm-hmm. because there's more things you have to decide between. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, that's a great question of the week, though. All right, that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is the five biggest budgeting mistakes. Yeah, these are these are big. Um, 
You know, now when most people think of budgeting, though, John, I mean, they think of, you know, financial chains and ropes. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> have to be that way. Budgeting's not a bad word. It can be actually very liberating. Yeah, it's not. it doesn't have to be a painful process. Uh, it can be simple. You don't have to make it complicated. Uh, and then, you know, if you do it right, you don't have to feel guilty about going on vacation or playing golf or having a good time because it's in the budget. You have a line item for that activity, and you just go do it. I like the way you think, yeah. Vacations and golf. <laughs> golf, yep, yeah, you go. Yep. I figured you'd like I that. I want to do that guilt-free. And having <laughs> it in your budget is the way to do that, no doubt. Yeah, it's like having a GPS on your road trip to retirement, you know. I mean, you don't have to follow it exactly, but it can be a great guide to get you to where you want to go. Um, and you can have a stress-free journey to retirement and your other goals along the way. And it doesn't have to be complicated, as you mentioned. It just has to be effective. And, you know, in fact, I sat down with a young couple recently. Um, they had gone through Dave mm-hmm. Ramsey's FPU class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was fired up. I mean, they they had a good budget now that they had gone through the class. Um, they got it, and they were on track. And that's just such a stark contrast to, to most people we sit down with that have no clue what they spend. I see people, even at retirement, mm-hmm. we sit down with that are ready to retire. And I ask them, I say, okay, well, how much do you spend, you know, every every month? Yeah, they have and no idea. They have no Most idea. Most people don't. I mean, can't even get within a couple thousand dollars of it. Mm-hmm. They just have no idea, John. So, you know, that's a bad place to be, you know. And if you're 65, you're retired, you're living well within your means, maybe you don't need a budget. But the other 95% of people out mm-hmm. there, they, they do need a budget. Yeah, the recent stat, Steve, is only 35% have a financial strategy and only 17% update it recently. I mean, those numbers are high based on what I see folks coming in. I don't see a lot of people with with strategies out there. That's one of the reasons why they come to us. No, that's right. I mean, I think they use the word financial strategy here very loosely. Yes, I think so. So, uh, yeah, you know, a quick story here. Whenever Kathy and I first got married, I mean, we were pretty tight with our money, obviously. You, You know us pretty well. We don't... Is that when you got married or now? Well, you know, we're less tight now, but we were really tight back when I first got married because, man, I had a, you know, we had a plan for saving a lot of money um, for a house, Mm -hmm. among other things, and we had a budget. I was an engineer, so I was fairly analytical. I had the green pad, you know, with all the squares (laughs) on it, an analytical pad that I used, and uh, after we had been married a few years... Um, I wanted to take a big vacation. <clears throat> I'd never been off the East Coast. I mean, my parents didn't even take us out of South Carolina, Georgia, or Florida. That was basically the only places I had been. Um, so we wanted to fly out to California and drive all around the state. And I had saved just enough frequent flyer miles from a few business trips and job interviews to, to be able to do that. Um, if I got the cheapest flight you could get, like 25,000 points mm-hmm. per, you know, per ticket. Um, And so we cut coupons out of the Rand McNally Atlases because they had a $39 a night coupon in there for La Quinta Inns. You're really dating yourself with the I know, I know I am. But no kidding. I mean, the Rand McNally Atlases. Okay, this was 30 years ago, I admit. But I had to buy a bunch of those atlases to get enough of those coupons because I think there were two coupons in each atlas. So I had to buy like five of them. But it was cheaper than, you know, paying more for a hotel. So I did that. Um, We got a cheap car for a week, but we found an upgrade to a luxury car, a Cadillac. That was sweet. We got a free, we got free flights to San Francisco, you know, through the freaking fire miles. The $39 a night hotel deals that we used pretty much all around the state and a $100 Cadillac for nine days. 
Um, again, it's 30 years ago. But when we got there, we went grocery shopping. We bought a styrofoam cooler, bag of ice, groceries. We only ate out dinners at like steakhouse kind of places. You know, back then that was under 10 bucks. Um, it is still one of those memorable vacations we ever had. You got a picture of that Cadillac? I'm sure I do somewhere. I'll have to ask Kathy about that. I need to that. find it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, but that was one of the most memorable vacations we ever had. We put over 2,000 miles on that Cadillac. We went from wine country north of San Francisco to Tijuana, all the way back to the Mojave Desert and Death Valley and across Yosemite. And uh, we did all that nine days with flight and all that for under $1,000 back wow. then. Wow, that's a steal. It was a steal. It was, and it was a great vacation. So, you know, the point is, I mean, you can have a fun, memorable vacation, and it doesn't have to to just blow, totally blow your budget. It doesn't have to be that expensive if you have a plan, but you got to have a plan, and you got to work the plan. It's the same thing with your overall budget. Okay, so jumping right into these mistakes here. Mistake number one is not having a real budget. Um, a lot of people may have a list of expenses, estimated expenses, but that's not really a budget. Yeah, I mean, a real budget, Steve, it has to have controls, has to have kind of a feedback loop, if you will. Um, you know, you has to have a plan of what each category expense will be, and then, you know, it has to tell you when, you, when it's over. So, I mean, it can be as simple as envelopes, but you got to have some kind of feedback to know that, hey, you got to stop spending. That's right. Yeah, a real budget has to be kept up with monthly has to have consequences when you're over in a category. You know, if it's the envelope system, then the envelope's empty. You stop spending that category. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not using the envelope system, you can you can just, you know, know when you're over in a category and just trim back in that category. But an estimate of your expenses is not a real budget unless you really track it and really, you know, have some uh, feedback in that in that system. So... So that was mistake number one. Mistake number two is not properly budgeting for for vacations or the non-periodic expenses. Yeah, I mean, those, Steve, this is a like such a big one. Non-routine expenses, they have to be well-budgeted for and saved for because you're always going to have, you know, non, non-routine. Um, you know, and some wild guess in your head and coming in twice that, well, that doesn't get her done. I mean, that's going to blow the budget up and it's going to set you back. So these non-routine right. expenses, you got to make sure you plan for them. That's right. I mean, you can have a nice, uh, you know, beach trip and save for the rent, and you can have it all planned out. But if you leave out food, you know, you're done. Yeah. I mean, that's that can be half of the half of the trip. I mean, food and other expenses associated with vacation can be the biggest part. So controlling those is huge, and you, you have to keep it reasonable and have a plan for it. We love to go on cruises with some of our friends, and those can be very affordable. But the extras can easily double the cost of the trip if you allow them to. Um, so budget for all parts of your vacation. Um, you know, in fact, I mean, we took our entire family to Maui uh, a while back, and we did it for under $2,000, all uh, five of us. That's good. We got freaking flyer miles, came kind of thing. You know, we really <clears throat> planned it all out. Um, so, you know, if you have a plan, you can do some really nice stuff, and you can do it cheap if you have a plan for it and have it in your budget. Yeah, I mean, great vacations don't have to um, to, to to be stressful and, and blow your budget if you if you plan correctly, and you have to use all the resources. I mean, you know, some people um, have frequent flyer miles. Maybe you have an uncle that has a timeshare or vacation house, and and you can save on money. But you got to plan on it. You got to do some, you know, do some research into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you need to budget for all the non-monthly stuff too, like Christmas. 
you know, taxes, car repairs, home repairs. So make sure your budget, you know, has enough detail in there to to capture everything. All right, now mistake number three here is not keeping track of your discretionary expenses, like the miscellaneous items. Mm-hmm. You know, most people, I mean, they pay for miscellaneous stuff with a debit card, a credit card, and then they just list it all as one category, mm-hmm. credit card payment maybe. Yeah. Um, the problem is there's no control there or breakdown. You know, some of it's food, some of it's gas, some of it's Walmart items. you got to have some breakdown there so you know where the money really goes. And it could be $500 one month and then $2,000 the next month. And you don't know why if you don't have it broken down. Yeah, so you got to break down your credit card, your debit card um, each month so you know where it's going. I mean, if you're overspending an area, you know, break it down weekly so you know when it's over. So it's just something that you have to monitor. It's kind of like, like that feedback loop that we were talking about. Exactly. And then stop spending in that category, you know, once you've overspent in a category. And if that doesn't work, you know, start using the envelopes system and cash for those discretionary items. So that when you're done with your budget, you know, you're, you're, you really do stop because then the cash will be gone. All right, so that's good. And then number four here on the list is not being willing to change the budget busters. I mean, we see this all the time. Everybody kind of has their, their one item mm-hmm. or two items they really break the budget on. And you got to be willing to tackle those and, and, and change those. Yeah, I sat down with somebody recently for planning, and it was obvious that eating out was their biggest budget buster. It was costing them like six, $700 a month for that alone, just for eating out. Is that they're eating their retirement? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, really, like, it is. It's a big it's number. A, it's a big number, you know. I mean, I guess they're eating, <clears throat> they're either eating out. I think they're eating out a lot. I don't mm-hmm. even think they were going to that nice, those nice of gotcha. places. They gotcha. were just eating out a lot, you know, like every single night. Um, and while, you know, they did address it some, it was obvious that this was going to be a constant struggle for them, and it was going to take a real attitude change for them. Um, most people have a budget buster like that. It could be eating out. It could be sports. It could be hobbies. It could be gifts. It could be vacations. It could be golf. Well, maybe, golf. Not, well, maybe not golf. That didn't <laughs> count. I'm sorry. Take that back. But, <laughs> you know, it could be anything, really. Psychologically... You don't want to change it, you know, and it's painful and it's your weakness, but you got to. Yeah, no, I mean, to be successful, Steve, you, you got to go after it. You got to tackle it head on. You can still enjoy those things, but just do it in moderation and do a little bit of planning. That's where the stress is taken out if you can do that um, from a planning standpoint. Put a line item on there and, and make sure you control it. So you have to be willing to face your budget busters. So that was number four here. Number five um, is not leaving enough cushion in your budget. Yeah, we, we see this a lot, too. I mean, some people, um, they'll have like a $4,000 budget, and they'll have like $5 to spare between their income and the budget. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you got to have typically, you know, you probably can't account for like 5% of your money if you're like most people, and then your expenses vary by another 5%. So you really need to have... What, probably 10%? Yeah, 10% cushion I think would be good. Really, in, in any budget, on top of your savings, hopefully that means you'll save you know an extra 5% occasionally, but it's not going to be over. So you got to have some wiggle room. Exactly. So build in some cushion in your budget for those things that you can't keep track of precisely. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, great vacations don't have to cost a lot or bust the budget if you're planned for carefully. But keep a real budget with a cushion Tackle the budget busters, break out your miscellaneous pile in your budget so that you know where your money's really going, 
budgeting shouldn't be painful, but it should be liberating, and mm-hmm. it should it should enable you to take stress free vacations and do things without worrying about the the money of it if you're keeping track of it. So, so that's uh, that's the budget busters for us. That's All a right. good one. Yep, and we'll finish up here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, prescription of the week is to rebalance your investments periodically. And, Steve, all that really means is selling something high and buying something low. That's very, very simplistic terms. But, you know, when the market has done well, maybe taking a little piece off of your stock funds and putting it into the bond fund. So when the markets go back down, you can sell a little piece of the bond fund and go buy the stock fund when it's low. So do that on a periodic basis. Quarterly is is reasonable. A lot of people, if they're doing it themselves, maybe annually because it is it can be a, a pretty big task um, but consider rebalancing as a way to um, to again s- sell some things high and buy some things low yeah that's exactly right um, yeah I mean you 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 have to rebalance your portfolio it keeps you at the right risk <clears throat> level over time your equities are going to grow more than your fixed income probably mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's going to get out of whack so as you mentioned that's that's a great prescription of the week. Okay, that brings us to a close this week's edition of Money MD. Uh, tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706 739 0725. Thanks and have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.